Evening, everyone. It's nice to see George full. It's really good. We were talking recently about um, somebody kind of gave us an encouragement that as a service we would potentially be too big for this place. So um, it's really encouraging to look and it's full. So um, good stuff. Cool. Um, tonight we're carrying on our series of looking at individual prayers in the Bibles. Um, Tonight's the last one, um, and then next week is, of course, the confirmation service. Um, I think Lee's already said a few words about that, so that would be really awesome. We've got some, we've got, Tom's at 10 people from St. Giles being confirmed next week, and there's others. So it's going to be an amazing service, um, so we won't be on next week, but please do come for that. Um, 7 o'clock. Thanks, Adrian. I didn't actually know that, just made it up. Cool. So, um, for those of you who know me, um, they'll know that I spend a lot of time on the internet. Um, <laughs> that laughter is quite worrying, isn't it? Um, I generally am um, always browsing, always reading, and quite often I find something and I go, Cat, this is amazing, and she doesn't really care. So, um, but I did find something that was really quite interesting, and we had a good conversation about it. So, um, the headline gives the story away um, when it said, Judge tells doctor it is inappropriate to say he is a Christian at work. You can tell it was a broadsheet by how long the headline was. Um, but judge tells doctor it is inappropriate to say he is a Christian at work. I think, unfortunately, we're starting to get used to news items like this, aren't we? So whether it's other examples in the health profession, whether it's um, high-profile media um, situations. There was that BA crew member, wasn't there, a few years back, that I think went right up to, I think it went up to European Court of Justice level. And I think, it, if I remember rightly, it was all to do with whether she could wear a crucifix necklace, I think. Um, and I, I was thinking about it. It's, I know there are only a handful of incidents, but it's easy to marry up what we see in the media with what we see around us, isn't it? With what values we perceive are being promoted, what values are being neglected. And one conclusion is that it can be very easy to be quite doom and gloomy about faith in the UK, the role of faith and the place for faith. Um, it could, I'm not saying it is or we should feel like that, it could be very easy for the British Christian of today to look at rules about the workplace, so that judge telling that doctor, um, to look at politics, to look at legislation, um, to look at um, the state of family life, all those kind of things. It can be very easy to feel aggrieved um, and genuinely quite sad about how we've got to this point and where we're going. However, I just want to start by tonight, let's shed our naturally miserable English mindset for a moment. Um, and let's think bigger, let's think globally. So um, I know from my travels um, to various countries, to various continents, that I've always encountered very active, very vibrant local churches. I wonder what your experiences have been. Obviously, I've not experienced every church, but the ones that I've encountered. And actually, I think it's really important that as Christians in the UK, that if that is something we do feel like, it's really important that we stay connected with uh, missions, um, with what international organisations are doing uh, for causes to do with justice. Because actually, those generally feed us. They give us some insight into what is happening in God's kingdom on a worldwide scale. But I digress. There's 
an American research organization that basically does a rolling um, demographic study of faith in the world. And every now and again, when they've obviously got enough data, they just publish this huge, huge report. And again, this is one of my internet finds. Um, and to summarize, they basically said that it was in 2010 they, put, they published the last one. They said that there are nearly 2.25 billion Christians in the world. 2.25 billion Christians of all ages in the world at that time. Staggering. I can't comprehend that number. That's so big. Um, In 1910, there were 612 million. So obviously that's some growth. I'm not going to go into... There's been huge population growth anyway. Blah, blah, blah. blah. But 2.25 billion. So in that 100 years, there's been huge growth in Europe, in North America, areas that perhaps we might not expect... Um, And then there's been even bigger exponential growth in Africa, Asia, South America. Um, There's been a huge growth in people in those areas declaring Jesus as Lord, as their saviour. The conclusion, God is at work. God is at work today. God is busy bringing revelation of himself and salvation. So if we break out of that Anglo-centric mindset where we look at what we see in the media, what we see around us on a day-to-day basis, we see a church that is booming, that is growing, and that is discipling people towards Jesus and making God known. That, that's the deal. I want us just to be mindful of the fact that the church is growing, the church is big, it's busy, that God is alive and active, because they're key points that kind of underpin the passage we're going to read in a moment. So we're going to go to Ephesians give you a bit of context before we dive in. Through the first two, two and a half chapters, uh, Paul is outlining to the church in Ephesus that God has called us to know him. He's called us to hear the truth and he's done that so that Jesus will get the praise. Jesus' death, Jesus' resurrection brings an offer of grace and forgiveness That leads to new life. It leads to peace with God. It leads to peace with our creator. So Paul writes, we were once far away as aliens, as foreigners, but now we are citizens of God's house, belonging to God's kingdom. And then we get to chapter three, which I'll tell you the passage in a moment. Um, We see Paul taking great delight in the personal role he feels privileged to have played. So he has been part of the process of God's plan of taking the name of Jesus, taking God to new people, to new places. Essentially, the role that we now occupy as the church. It's made quite clear that God's will is for his church to stand up and be a vehicle in which the good news, the gospel, is made known. That's kind of super important for the rest of the time. It's made quite clear that God's will is for his church to stand up and be a vehicle by which God's goodness, the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ is made known. And then this is the point we get to where where Paul is going to pray for the church. And just as Paul wrote this prayer for the church in Ephesus, it's really important for us today. Uh, Here in Nottingham, the church worldwide. So if you want to turn to uh, Ephesians 3, 14, 21, if you're not there already. 
I'm going to hope I've got the same version in front of me. So, for this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. So we come together tonight as something else, as part of something bigger. St. Giles, Church of England, the Worldwide Church. But it's about more than that, isn't it? It's about family. We've come together as family. God's salvation plan has brought a family of believers for himself. Belonging to this family is every believer of all time. So those on earth, those still running the good race, fighting the fight... They're joined by those already triumphantly with the Lord. One big family. The family is given its name, as it says in Ephesians, from the Father. Alan Brown spoke a few weeks ago, um, and he spoke about the new name we are given in baptism of Christian. And this is the family that that new name is for. This is the family. Now, I was thinking about family and Um, every family has its own way of doing things, doesn't it? You get sneaky little insights when you go around for dinner um, or when you spend some time with somebody, when you visit friends, you see how a family functions. And I was thinking of the times that when I was a little kid, and I was thinking especially because when you're a kid, you don't know any different. How you're brought up is the way it is, isn't it? Um, Whether you sit down at the table for dinner, whether you sit in front of the TV whether you go to bed at 7 o'clock or go to bed at 10 o'clock, you don't know any different. And I was thinking of the times that I used to go around to uh, some friend's house, um, friends with a very strong Christian background. I used to love going to the house. We'd play football in the road, always the best place. Um, we would eat, we would play, we would chat, stay over, and so on. And you begin to see the values, don't you? You begin to see the attitudes, you begin to see the, through the behaviours. That's what kind of speaks. And essentially, the way a family acts communicates what a family stands for. And that is exactly the same for the family of God. So what I want to do tonight is I'm just going to draw out a couple of points from this Ephesians passage that tell us what is this family about? What is the kingdom of God, the family of God, the family of believers? What characterises us? What are some of the things that we should see? So verse 16 I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. The first point then tonight is the family of believers are called to be distinguished and strengthened by God's presence. The family of believers are called to be distinguished and strengthened by God's presence. In Paul's New Testament writings, um, he never separates Christ and the spirit as two persons of the Trinity. So what he's saying here is the likeness. Spirit in your inner being, Christ dwelling in your heart, they're very much the same thing. 
And the Greek word that Paul uses for dwelling is so minor, it may seem, but has huge implications for our understanding of this passage. He says that Christ will dwell in our hearts. And for dwelling, he uses a word that denotes permanence, that denotes um, being the master, being resident, not a temporary fixture. So to illustrate that, think of a temporary squatter or a lodger. They, are, they have somewhere to live, but it's very insecure, it's very loose. And compare that to the homeowner who can put his mark down and say, this is, my, this is my home, this is where I am. There's a permanence, there's a security. And essentially Christ wants to be the owner of the residence. He wants to be the master of the residence of our hearts where he dwells. Not a temporary fixture but a permanent fixture. And that's quite contrary to our human nature, isn't it? To give over control. We want control. But the Father gifts his spirit to strengthen us, to be more resolute in letting Christ dwell, to help us surrender control again and again. Whilst we do this individually, in our own walks with God, I think the implications of it are most clearly seen when we come together in our relationships with one another. So one by one, we come before God, and to use the phrase from Ephesians, we receive the glorious riches of of God's love, God's grace. And as we are strengthened in power, the Spirit is able to grow its fruit. So we begin to grow in peace in our walk with God, and we begin to grow in joy, in self-control, patience, and so on. But what does that do if you're by yourself there's a, there's a definite internal kind of process going on there but actually that outworks itself in our relationships with one another do I show patience in my relationship with you, do I show gentleness, do I show joy so as we come together as a family of believers showing these fruits we interact and we begin to interact with one another in a way that is befitting of God's will in a way that is befitting of Christ's love. The expression of Christ in our lives comes from a very honest assessment of ourselves, which I think we can probably all recognise that we've had to do at some point, to say, God, I need you. An honest assessment of ourselves, that we cannot walk this journey of faith by ourselves, no matter how hard we try. We need God's help. So what we see in Paul's prayer is the truth that God strengthens us to allow Christ to dwell. And it's Christ's dwelling that makes those in the kingdom of God identifiable to those in the world outside. God's manifest presence in your life, personal holiness, relationships dominated by the Father's love. Those things will just want to shout out Christ manifest presence, personal holiness and relationships, that scream of God's love. If we could ask Paul what the purpose of us being strengthened by the Spirit was, then I'm sure he would affirm it's so we have the strength to love one another. Now, as we're talking about family, um, I'm sure if my sister was here, she's a couple of years older than me, she would tell you I was a right little swine. Um, I took every opportunity to... I gladly assumed that younger brother role uh, to wind up, to be the wind-up merchant, to provoke reactions. 
Um, so much so, she turned around once and broke my finger. But that's another story. Um, I doubt I'm the only person who's ever had that kind of relationship with a sibling. Fingers crossed. Uh, it's what we do. And actually, as brothers and sisters, together in this room, with the person on your left and your right, I'm pretty sure that we will wind each other up at times. We will hurt each other. We will grieve each other. Sometimes it's hard for us to love one another. But as Paul prays, we should pray for the power of the Spirit to help us in this. Living as people reconciled to the Father is to know how to love like the Father does. Paul be rooted and grounded in love. Two pictures. Picture a big oak tree. It's the roots that are the stability, the foundation of it. We're rooted in love. We're grounded in love, established in love. Think of the cornerstone, the foundations of a house. They're so central. Love needs to be the foundation of our relationships with one another. We don't love one another for gain. We don't love one another because it will make my life a lot easier to get on with Dave here because he's got Sky. (laughs) I don't love you and we don't love one another so that you'll love in return. That's not why we do it, is it? Instead, we love one another as a response to God's love, to God's gracious love, and so that the world will know who God is. That is why we love one another. In John 13, John tells his disciples that everyone will know they are his by the way they love one another. Our actions, our behaviours, our attitudes, they will communicate what this family is about, remember. And in God's new creation, the prominent virtue is love. So, as well as praying for strong foundations of love for each other, Paul also prays that we know Christ's love. Now, obviously, these two go hand in hand together. How wide the love, Paul writes, how deep the love, and so on. How wide the love that it covers all people. How long the love that it covers all time. How deep the love that it covers the most degraded sinner. And how high the love that it exalts that sinner into heaven. A number of commentaries, actually, that I read, they actually suggest we don't need to take those dimensions literally. Um, And actually, they say that Paul might have just been engaging in some, the equivalent of prayerful poetic license, I guess. Regardless whether we take that literally or not, how true those dimensions are, how vast the love of Christ. It seems like, with a love that vast, we do indeed need strength and power to be able to begin comprehending it. We will only get the smallest glimpse of Christ's vast love as it surpasses our ability to comprehend. But what we do see will still far and above exceed any love that we've ever known. That vastness must not deter us, must not scare us, but actually that should give us joy. Joy that we've got an eternity to explore an inexhaustible supply of love. I think, looking at the Ephesians passage, it could be quite easy to miss out one small little clause when we're talking about this love. And you'll see that it says, together with all the Lord's people. There is power to comprehend these dimensions only with all the saints. That's each other. We're called to be a holy priesthood, a holy people. That's each other. And so here we go back to the importance of belonging to a family of believers. 
the church, the vehicle member that is going to make the good news known. Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus, and he was um, predominantly explaining that the gospel is for both Jew and Gentile. For us, we're talking man and woman, young and old, black or white, any nation. They can stand together as brothers and sisters in this family. When we meet like this on a Sunday night, when we share fellowship and worship with one another, with other Christians from other churches, other nations, we essentially enhance our ability to comprehend more of God's vast love. I was trying to find the best way to describe this. Because I was thinking about that. It sounds a little bit wordy. But I was trying to think about it. Think of the times when we'll come together uh, with a real purpose, with a real purpose to worship. Think of, even next week might be a good example, the confirmation service. It's going to be loads of people, loads of believers in this family. They're going to come together and there's going to be a real time of worship. And it's those times that I think you sense a heightened sense of joy, a heightened sense of, for a time such as this, kind of feeling. That is our ability to comprehend together God's vast love. We do it together. And we know that, don't we? Because when you walk faith, our faith journey on your own, it's so limiting. You don't get stretched, you don't get challenged, you don't get encouraged. And it's as we do those things to each other, we build each other up. We encourage each other to explore new ways of knowing God more. Iron sharpens iron. We share our experiences of God. And then we go away to the individual side of it and explore it, don't we? So essentially the second point really is that love is the defining characteristic of our relationships. But you need to be part of the family You've got to be committed on the walk together. There's one third element of God's family that I just want to mention, and this is the concept you'll see in verse 19, that we may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Filled to the measure, not a phrase I've used recently, and to the fullness of God. So what what does this mean? What is this? We can get the ball rolling on understanding this by looking at Colossians 1. So in Colossians 1, um, Paul is exalting the nature of Christ uh, as divine, as as the divine God. And verse 19 says, For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, him being Jesus. And in Colossians 2, verse 9 and 10 says, For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And you have been given fullness in Christ, who is the head over every power and authority. For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. All the glory, all the perfection, all the eternal nature of God lived in bodily form. So when Jesus walked this earth, every step was with that as fully God. And was also as fully man. He breathed in. He breathed out. He suffered. He had the full set of emotions. We know that God understands what it's like 
because of that. So not only that, we have been given that fullness in Christ. Blimey. Right, so God's pretty big. So we're never, of course, going to have the all-knowing, the all-powerful, the infinite nature of God. But as individuals and as a church family, we can grow in our likeness of God, his character. And that is when we look to Jesus, the example of Jesus walking the earth. We see how he loved. Paul's prayer gives an indication of how do we fill ourselves to the measure. He prays that we would be filled up, which suggests it is not a matter of you're like Christ or you're not. You're filled with the Spirit or you're empty. But actually it's a matter of degrees. I think that's actually something we're quite familiar with. To say it like that sounds a little odd. But actually I know we quite regularly talk about being filled with the Spirit, being filled up with the Spirit that we pray that we will be transformed more like Christ. It's a matter of degree. Which means, in God's awesome nature, that there is always more. That there is always more, and there is room to grow. And I think that's the third point that I really want to stress about characteristics of our family, is that actually we commit to saying there is room to grow together. That we accept each other as incomplete articles. We're not the finished product. And so the importance of walking this journey of faith together is re-emphasised again. The centrality of the church, of being that vehicle, is, is hammered home again by Paul. We need each other's support because the bar has been set high. The fullness of God has become the standard by which Paul prays we are filled unto. We need each other's support. That is a lofty, lofty aspiration for Paul to pray. But that's not just some wacky spirit-led prayer. That's grounded in biblical principle. We know that God commands us to be holy as I am holy. It says it in Leviticus, it says it again in 1 Peter. Be holy as I am holy. It's the same principle. That's the same principle of, I will pray that you meet the fullness of Christ. Be holy as I am holy. Don't know about you, but I'm looking at that thinking, that's not going to happen. That is a high bar. But we have seen in this Ephesians passage that God strengthens, the encouragement that God strengthens us with his spirit. And that also, we're encouraged to walk together on the journey. So Paul prays that as the church, as the family, we would be marked by those three things. God's presence within, Christ dwelling, together growing in our knowledge of God's love, so that love defines our relationships. And thirdly, a willingness to accept each other and say that we all have room to grow to grow in the fullness of God. But for what purpose? Why is he praying that? And then we have the bit of this passage, which I think we all know, verse 20 and 21. 
So verse 20, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, God is the God of abundance. God goes beyond our expectations. God goes beyond what we dare to dream, what we dare to ask for, what we dare to imagine. And this truth is so exalting. At the end of this passage, we've got the glimpse that God is huge, God is great, God is mighty. And that fits perfectly with the rest of the passage. The, The three points of the prayer that we've looked at already the intimate, the personal. God gifts his spirit. Christ dwells within. There's the personal relationship. And then either side of this Ephesians passage, you've got the Father who gives the family the name and the God who is able to do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine. That together is our God. The great and the mighty and the personal and the intimate. And we're left with the truth that the same power that does immeasurably more than we ask or imagine is the same power dwelling within. The power of the resurrection, the power that defeated sin and death, the power that lifted Jesus to his current place of glory, the same power is at work within us, individually and as the family. Paul prays that those three characteristics would be the witness to the world around it. And as Paul prayed, I think we should pray. I think we should pray that that is the same. But also, we should actually believe that Christ's dwelling, our love for one another, and growing together in God's fullness, is the same power that does immeasurably more than we ask or imagine. And it's here, I just want to throw us back to that start, to the global church. One man, born in a stable, obedient to death, called 12 men initially to follow him. Their journey, their personal journey of discipleship together, together again, led to Acts 1.8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Strengthened by the Spirit, their radical love for one another, and their determination to be filled with the measure, to the, with the fullness of God, meant that their radical obedience took the gospel to where we are now. Over 2,000 years later, over 2 billion people, more than those first 12 men dared to ask or imagine, I bet. The fullness of God is at work within us, within his church, to bring praise to Jesus Christ. Amen.